You are listening to Seize the Day with Natalie Millis-Nell. During these podcasts, we'll be exploring all of the different opportunities that we get to seize the day on a daily basis and what tools and what changes we can make in order to grab those goals. Are you ready to make change? Hello, 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 podcast lovers. How are you all? It's Thursday. I'm Natalie and you are listening to Seize the Day. Now, I've got a great treat for you today. Another fabulous guest. She is a multi-award winning romance author with 12 published books, working on a 13th, I believe, and with a background in theatre and a serious love of both coffee and England. I am super excited to have Melissa Braden on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm so excited to be chatting with you from across the pond. Good morning, because it's early for you at the moment, isn't it? It is. It's just a little after 8 a.m., but that's okay. I've got my coffee and the sun is out. And and so we're letting that caffeine soak in as I come alive. (laughs) Brilliant. And now for everyone listening, where are you podcasting from? Where where are you about at the moment? I am in San Antonio, Texas, where, you know, it's it's mid-September and we will rise to 96 degrees today. Um, I refuse. No! It's true. And I refuse to give into it. I've, I'm wearing my fall wardrobe. I have long sleeves on. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. So I guess I'm rebelling against the weather. That's right. I can't believe that temperature. That's amazing. I can't take it anymore. It's fall. And so I'm pretending it's fall anyway, no matter what's happening outside. We've actually still got quite a lot of sunshine here. And the, yeah, we've, I mean, I don't know what this converts for you, but it's about 24 today, maybe. So it's quite nice still, which is unusual. <laughs> yeah, it is a little warm still for the, for that time of year. I'll, I'll take 85. I'll take, you know, anything. I'm willing to bargain at this point. I don't, I don't, I don't mind. But 96 in mid-September, I don't think that's fair. <laughs> that seems too hot. <laughs> okay, now we briefly met at GCLS in July this year, yes. which is a fabulous conference. And it's, oh, I really enjoyed that. It's the second time I've been. It's a great environment meeting people like yourself and other readers. It's got great energy. It does. It does. Was your first time in Las Vegas? Last year, yeah. Right. Hence the, uh, I bought myself a mug. Oh, you did? Look at that. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that was the first, Las Vegas was the first GCLS conference I missed since I began writing. And so I first went in 2011 and have gone every year since because like you, it's just such a great place to network, to hear more about books, to pick up a master class or two where you can sharpen up your writing skills. And then for the fan in me, because I'm a, I'm a fan of so many people, um, just to get to see them up close and hear their takes on storytelling and their careers. And so I love to just sit in and, and hear from the greats talk about their work. I agree with you. This is so informative. Yes. And there's such a, well, I found it more diverse this year as well. And last year, I think the beginning to change. It's very, very great, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I was very pleased as as always. But I was sorry I missed you last year in Vegas. I was on maternity leave. So I had yes, to miss my first Yes, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I had, a, I guess, a four-week-old at that point. So I couldn't be jetting off to Vegas. Wow. And we will definitely, definitely, definitely come on to that. Because I think, well, we, we had a quick catch-up over a drink on the the events night or the 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 awards night rather um and I think you've got some great stories to tell and I think some almost these are day opportunities but great life stories which I think are really valuable for for listener or anyone to to listen to or hear so I'm very grateful that you came on the show thank you very much Uh, and let's get stuck in let's talk about you let's talk about Melissa Braden how did it all start for you 
there's theatre before the writing. There's a, a whole life before, because you started in 2012, or is it 2011? Uh, my first book was published in 2011. It was accepted for publication in 2010, and I wrote it in 2009. So I guess anything oh. after 2009 is when I would consider myself a writer at that point forward. But, you know, you, you brought up a good point. I have the, the theater background before that. I was also a TV news reporter for a, a short time after college. I thought that was going to be my path. Um, and, and I also did video production on the side where I would shoot and edit weddings for, for extra cash when I was in my early 20s. And it's funny, when I look back over the different jobs and the careers that I've had, they all have one thing in common, and they're all linked to storytelling of some sort. Um, whether it's telling that story and packaging so it's interesting to somebody viewing the news that night or someone watching their cinematic wedding video edited together or telling a story on stage, they're all, they all have that same baseline. And so when I look back, it does seem only natural that I would eventually come on to the written word and putting it on the page. And it just, it happened organically. And I don't think I even made that connection until sometime later, but I do think the storytelling was already a part of my life before writing. I love that. So what, what's, how did you start? What was the first moment when you wrote, started writing and what was that trigger? It's so Do you funny. know? Yeah. Well, I had no business writing a book. I'd never written anything. I hear so many of my colleagues say that, well, I've been writing stories since I was four and I have all the notebooks and my teacher said that you're going to have a future. And none of that was my story. I, I never once thought about writing. I was an avid reader for sure, but I was teaching theater for high school at the time and I had the summer off. And I think I just probably had a creative itch. And like I said, I'd always been a reader and I thought, well, maybe I'll just give this a shot for fun. And literally that's what it was. It was about just something to do. I never thought anybody else would read it. I never thought I would send it off. But the more the, the story unraveled and the more pages stacked up, I thought, well, I could always send it. Nothing could happen. Um, what's the worst that, that, that could occur? And so... It was kind of just a whim, and I did a tiny bit of research on the publishing companies, and they make you submit separately, so I ranked the ones I was interested in, and I, I sent it off to Bold Strokes first, thinking I didn't even know if I'd ever hear back, and then lo and behold, they, they wanted to publish it, and that was quite the surprise. Uh, and I think it just it snowballed from there, uh, and I had the bug, and I couldn't stop. That is amazing. Talk about a seize the day moment as well. That is amazing to... And I think that's what I love about doing this show, to he hear your story there. So you've you've done this right on the side because you've got that creative bug. You clearly have that creative side to you with the theatre and the, the the news reporting and the video production. It's amazing. And then, but seizing the moment, okay, I'm going to send this off to actually just do it because to your point, what's the worst that could happen? Because yeah. you've got it here. It doesn't matter. And now you're a fully fledged published author. <laughs> well, it was so it's amazing. I remember when I got the first email back from Bold Strokes, it was so surreal to me that somebody else in another state had read something that I had written. It was such an interesting concept. Like these strangers read what I wrote. And now, I mean, that's just my everyday life. But at the time, it was mind blowing to me. How do you find that, actually? Because I find this very interesting talking to authors as well. I find it very admirable. The words that you put on the page often are personal to a degree or there's some part of maybe bits and portions of your life that you put into the story or characters or, or personal experiences. And then somebody else is reading it. 
and then you get the feedback how how does how does how do you feel how does what is that like it was really hard at first I would say for the second book because the first book I didn't really know what I was getting into and it was exciting but then you sit down to write the second book and you have that knowledge in your brain somebody's about to read this because you've gone through it once already and you you have that understanding and then it's really hard to get out of your own way because you start second guessing if anything is good enough. What is my mother going to think? Because my mother <laughs> reads everything I write, refuses to skip sex scenes, refuses to skip anything because that's not supportive. So she wants to read everything. Uh, so it, there just came a point where I had to turn that off. And I knew that I did my best work if I'm writing for me. But I think you hit on something very important, which is that writing is very revealing. So if I write some sort of detail that I think is sexy or attractive, that's me revealing something about me because I probably wouldn't have put that into the character if I didn't think that a wider audience would find it universal. So that's me admitting this is what I think is is attractive or sexy. And so the reader walks away with that knowledge. So you are sharing a piece of yourself, which can be quite daunting. And if you if you concentrate on that, I don't think you can do your best work. I think you have to just find the off switch, which takes time to do. And uh, it's a it's a muscle and it's something you have to practice. But once you get that down, then you're going to do your best work. And it's admirable. And I've said this before to other authors and I, I, it's, I take my hat off. I think it's really impressive. And the books are lovely as well. I love yours, Waiting in the Wings. First one I've read of yours. It, that was your first book as well, wasn't it? Yes, 2009. Yeah. I wrote that one. Mm-hmm. Heartblock. I've got all of the Soho ones. I must apologise. I've not read them yet, but That's I will okay. get onto them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what the to be, to be read book list is like. I know Kindle, it. So. I have my own. <laughs> okay. Now, you mentioned you, t- you used to teach in the theatre. Yes, I taught uh, high school theater for 10 years, and then I taught at the university level for three years after that, um, before taking on the writing job full-time, yeah. How did you find teaching? You must be quite patient, enjoyed it, you know, giving your knowledge to a wider audience. It, it was wonderful. It was an experience I'll treasure forever. I'm a big fan of education. I love being a student. I love being in, in the realm of academia in any way possible. And it was a subject matter that I had such passion for and being able to watch that passion be transferred to other people was incredibly gratifying. Um, at the same time, I think I learned some amazing life lessons. People joke with me to this day that that I'm incredibly calm and patient in any high stress situation. Like if there's an emergency, you're gonna see me cool as a cucumber. And that all comes from teaching high school when you can't let anything rattle you. And after doing that for 10 years, I think I don't ever need to raise my voice in life ever because that taught me not to. (laughs) So it's, it's been a, a rewarding experience, but also a valuable one to picking up a few life skills of my own. I love that. Amazing. Now, being a teacher, and I've spoken to Kiki about this before as yes. well. She obviously had a, a different brand, a different pen name. Uh, do you work under a pen name, actually? Uh, just my last name. My, my first okay. name is actually Melissa, but I was teaching at the time when we, we picked well, up names. So what I did is I went to my mother's maiden name and stole that. Um, so it's linked to Braden's linked to my grandparents, but uh, but I did go with a different last name just to protect the education side of things. But no, Kiki is great, and I, I got to hang out with her in Stratford. Uh, when oh, I was nice place. Yeah, and 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 uh, Claire Ashton also came down, and the three of us had some champagne together and stayed up really late. 
<laughs> I did. I actually had Claire on the other day as yes. well, and she mentioned that you guys had quite a raucous night. I believe we did. We went to this pub called <laughs> the, the Dirty Duck. If you're ever in Stratford upon Avon, <laughs> hit up the Dirty Duck. You can't go wrong. <laughs> I love that. I love it. And now, are you still? Do you still keep your books away from that student life, or has anyone? Have any of your former students read your novels? Yes. Now, I don't teach anymore. In 2016, I became a full-time writer, but I'm still very much in contact with lots of my former kids who've grown up and have, now have families of their own. And I have heard from lots of them who are aware of the books and proud and happy, and um, they've been very supportive and wonderful. So. I love it. So how long have you been, sorry, full-time writing for now? Uh, Going on four years almost. Wow. And is that part and parcel becoming a mother or was that going to be your natural route anyway? That was a financial decision, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, so okay. teaching is great, but yes, there there is a cap on on what you can take home. And when we got to the point with writing, and I know I know sometimes it's taboo to, to talk about money, but I think there's such a myth out there in the writing community that it has to be a gig on the side, and it, that's just so not true. And so I do speak out about that because I think I'm an advocate for a career writer. When I started making double what I was making teaching. Um, I decided that that writing was the way to go. And it's it's the best paying job I've ever had. So for people who think, oh, I want to be a writer, but I can't make a living, that that's not the case. You you definitely can make a living. You can make a great living. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I've heard different authors say that as well, that it is a financial viable option. Obviously, you need to put the work in. You've got 12 novels. You've, you've got to... Actually, we have 16. I think that was an old... <laughs> oh, was it? I got off your website. Sorry. No, that's I my fault. I research. need to, I need to update it. <laughs> but that, that's a great point you bring up is that I, I could never have been a full-time writer with one or two books. I'm sorry. I have a text message that keeps popping on my screen. Ignore that. But yeah, with one or two books, I never could have afforded to be a, a full-time writer you have to create a backlist that pays you over time and then it, then it's something that's a little bit more of an option are you getting into audio now with your books all of my books are in audio yes oh, are they? oh wow and it's gotten really great that the timing because the audiobook is coming out around the same time as the book itself now and, and the, the audio listeners don't have a lag time to wait like they used to uh, the book would come out and then it would be a few more months before audio but now it's all happening together which is great is it the same reader that then buys the audiobook or is it a different audience or are they loving both? I think there's a, definitely a different audience. There are people that just stay with audiobooks, but there's a, a small crossover. I see people who go back and forth, but I think for the most part, they're pretty separate. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's good. Great. So I have both revenue streams. I like that a lot. <laughs> now, okay. How are you finding being an author and a full-time mom? Oh my goodness. That was such a learning curve. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I knew that it would be, but I, I think the details be, I, I was a little bit more optimistic maybe than it turned out to be. I really thought he's a baby. I could still write with him in the room. No, that was never the case. I don't think there's ever been a time where I've gotten even a paragraph written where I have my son with me at the time. And so it became clear to me that uh, I was going to have to, to use some outside care. So he goes half day. And so the difference is, is I am not a fast writer. I'm somebody who, who doesn't sit down and, and hammer out 2000 words in a couple of hours like some of my friends can. I would 
use the full day. I'd write 500 words here, take a break, write five. I can't do that anymore because I only have the mornings to write. And so I have to be the most difficult boss I've ever had. And I have to stay on top of myself and I have to be disciplined, which is very hard for me because I'm not. And uh, make sure I get my word count because w once we hit lunchtime, I have to put it all away and don't look back at it and move forward and then then spend the afternoons with my son and get that quality time that he and I both need. Um, so it, it took me a while to understand that there wasn't going to be any overlap with him in the room while I was writing and he was sleeping or yeah, it just doesn't happen. It's true though. And I know exactly what you mean because my sister used to laugh at us a lot and she always said, you've got no clue. And until you have children, it's such a different way of operating and how you have to engineer your day and your life in terms of making sure, I think as you, you nailed it on the head, you've got to be organized. You've got to have everything in a, well, in a time zone, you've got to be disciplined. And then, you know, you give your time off to the little ones because they do demand it and you can't get anything done when they're around. Nothing. I think not even just in terms of writing, but just in terms of raising them, everything relies on structure structure and a schedule and that's that's the only way we live and die around here <laughs> like that I, I totally identify with you which kind of goes on to I was uh, on Melissa's website this morning and your blogs are brilliant I love them they're absolutely fantastic particular one and I, I've read this and I cried I'll be honest at the line between reality and fiction your story which I think you published earlier on this year but talks about your journey and your experience back three, four years ago when you were going through the whole IVF process, the endometriosis, which I know so many women struggle with and doesn't get talked about. And, you know, I was speaking to somebody on this very topic yesterday and we were saying, and I love men, so don't get me wrong, my father's the most amazing man in the world, my brother-in-law, everybody. But if this was a guy's disease or whatever you want to call it, it would be fixed already. Yes. <laughs> You'd be able to, it would, you wouldn't have to deal with it. So, I, I mean, I love how candid you were in this blog. And if you don't mind for anybody who's not read your blog or, or understands your journey, perhaps talk about what it is that you went through in order to, you know, or to have a family because it's, it's, it's tough. There's a lot of patience, hard work, emotion and tireless dedication that goes into it that makes it kind of a miracle, I think. Yes, uh, it, it was quite a journey. And looking back on it now and being outside of it, I can realise how much of a journey. I think once you're in the midst of it, you just keep moving forward, you just keep moving forward and you take one hit after another, but you keep your your eyes ahead. But now that it's all over and I can look back, I it's astounding to me everything that I went through and some of the fluke things that happen along the way, but to, to make a long story short, I've suffered from endometriosis probably since I was 14, which involves a lot of pain, um, a, a lot of missed days of school and work along the way as you learn to adapt to that pain. And it's a it's a condition that can't just be diagnosed until you have surgery. And so one of the things I always felt guilty for uh, admitting to feeling poorly and, and, and having to take some time out because it wasn't something that we could say for sure that I had. And I always had it in the back of my head. Well, what if I, what if I don't have it? I should just be quiet. I should just. And so for my entire life, I just did my best to soldier through. 
and wanted to have a child, but but put it off a little bit for career. But it just it, it, it got to the point where I, re- I wanted to get serious about it and knew that endometriosis was likely the case and would would be a problem. And so I visited a fertility clinic, a fantastic clinic. I don't I want to don't want to say anything bad about them because they were wonderful. And just doing some basic tests that you do to find out if you can have a child, um, I contracted an awful infection. And what we know now was that I contracted it because I had very severe endometriosis. And just by walking into that clinic, I wound up losing half of my reproductive system uh, from from that process. And so now my journey to a child, uh, my chances have been been cut by about 75% and they were already very, very bad. So we knew it it was a Hail Mary, but I went into uh, IVF treatments anyway. And if anyone's gone through it before, a lot of people go through one cycle of IVF and say, okay, that's it. That was enough. That was awful because of the shots and the hormones and what it does to your body and to your emotions. Um, and then, so for a lot of people, it's one and done. And then you tell someone you did two and they said, oh, you did two rounds. Bless you. Uh, so for, for me, it was five rounds. to get through and it was a lot and there were lots of heartbreaking moments where you go through it all and you wait to see if it took and then it's a phone call and and I had a lot of really low low moments I remember being in the airport heading off to a book event and getting that call and it was the third or fourth time I'd been told it was a no-go and I just collapsed kind of into a chair and stared at the floor and I remember strangers walking past me as tears fell down my face and it, it was a it was a humbling very lonely feeling moment um, and I can look back on it now as as a learning experience because I have my son but I also recognize for some people they go through my same journey and, and don't have the ending that I had and I'm very very aware of that and I think as women we have to talk about these things and we have to support one another um, and, and reach out to our friends who maybe aren't telling us about what's going on with them because at the time I didn't tell many people about my journey I talk about it now but I should have been more vocal at the time uh, do you know you've really hit the nail on the head and I, I wrote down as you were speaking that very word talking Again, I don't think we talk about it enough. I've had endometriosis. Uh, I don't believe perhaps as severely as yours, but we're all we're all different in that sense. I had a laparoscopy. They burnt loads off. Yes. Crikey, I was in. I, I actually went to that appointment so naive. I drove myself and my, well, I think she, no, we were married at the time. She came in and said, what are you doing? <laughs> they put me under. I was in agony. I couldn't do anything. And actually leading up to that appointment, when I went to the doctors, I mean, it's quite crazy. The woman looked at me, it was a female doctor, actually. And she said, well, since you're gay, since you're a lesbian, the whole reproductive thing doesn't matter. So she would, honestly, it was unbelievable. (laughs) And then she asked me questions along the lines of, why have you got so much pain there? Have you done anything um, perverse, kind of, you know, put anything unusual with you, honestly? It was unbelievable. But I ended up doing it. <laughs> but I think we do need to talk about it more because it is a very it's a big condition so many people suffer with it terribly um and your journey actually at the end of it is wonderful a miracle for sure but there are a lot of people that don't get success at the end and you know it, it is good to talk about things because we all struggle otherwise or we, we lack confidence and then I think it has a counterproductive towards the you know as you go on through life so congratulations though and he's gorgeous thank you look at the pictures he's gorgeous <laughs> the uh, dog flap is it a dog flap you've got yeah the dog door yeah <laughs> he goes in and out it's it's quite the journey um he's he's a very adventurous 
kiddo and so it's it's fun to watch him he changes so much so quickly i'm sure as you know from yours uh time flies it does it absolutely does now on that talking of time flying and trips abroad another one of your blogs which i loved and i know when we spoke in gcls you love England. You love London. You love Shakespeare. Yes. You came over a few years ago. So that would have been just before you got pregnant. That was 2015. It was the summer of 2015. So yeah, it was, it was, it was right before it all started. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So I was pursuing my master's degree in in theatrical directing. And so I came to England for the summer and I, I studied half the time with the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford-upon-Avon. And then I moved, headed to London and spent the rest of the summer with uh, Shakespeare's Globe Theatre. Wow. And so it was a very it was a very intense time full full of lots of writing of papers and directing of scenes. Um, but I, I did get to really enjoy England. And I'd, I'd grown up four years in England as a kid. And so I have fantastic memories. I lived in Suffolk in East Anglia and I had great memories of England. So it was nice to come back as an adult now and to experience it from, from a different perspective. And did your blog honestly it made me laugh? Did you try the hula hoops again, the fish and chips and the quavers? Yes. And you mentioned oxtail, uh, oxtail flavor crisps as well. Yeah, we do actually have those. I think they're so. I don't eat them, but you do. I did try all of it, and then once I got back stateside, you I found this out. You can order them on Amazon, and they will send them to you from England. So I order, I order quavers and hula hoops still to this day. Do you really? Oh, we've got loads in the bottom drawer for the boys. I love hula hoops. Yes. I'm sure they've got smaller. I used to put them all on my fingers. That's how we did it when yeah. we were little. Yes. All on the fingers, eat off the fingers. Uh-huh. I can't do it now. And, and um, <laughs> Walker's crisps, I order those as well. I don't like the prawn ones. So I have the prawn ones just keep lining up as I, because it's a, it's a combo pack and, and so yeah. they, I cheese and onion and all that, but I don't want those shrimp chips. No, <laughs> no, they're not the best. So if anybody That's out hilarious. there, if anybody need some prawn flavored chips or crisps let me know I have a ton I anytime guests stay Georgia Beard stayed in my guest room and I put some on her bed for her <laughs> did she eat them I think she left them there I don't think she yeah. took them with her. <laughs> oh that's priceless I love it I love mm-hmm. it now one of the other things again going through your blogs and also watching you at the GCLS conference for example and looking at your career and how you you know you present yourself, how you come across and what you do. It's very admirable. And I particularly talk about the GCLS conference, for example. There's a lot of expectation on authors and anyone who's um, the front line there to present, to sit on panels, to, you know, just generally talk and have uh, an opinion almost on how things are and whatnot. You, what, one of your um, blogs, Little Miss Nervous and Little Miss Nervous at your service, I thought was fantastic because you talked about how you do get nervous about things, which we all do you know every time I come to do a podcast but it's healthy how do you overcome that in order to well you come across so confident and you present very well and you're articulate and I loved your reading of your book that was one of the things I liked at GCLS for listeners how do you overcome nerves in order to you know continue to push yourself forward well they're there even sometimes when I may appear confident it's all a ruse because I'm always very nervous and I and, and sometimes it's 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 nervous because I'm worried that things won't go well or I won't say the right thing 
or uh, I'll forget to listen when someone else is speaking because sometimes you That's can be thinking <laughs> what what's the next question going to be at, while someone else is speaking and and then and then it's your turn and you don't know the threat of so there's so many variables that I'm concerned with that make me nervous and then there's the the other side of it where sometimes you're just excited and so you have extra energy bubbling inside of you and you don't want that to make you talk too fast or to shuffle your feet while you're standing in front of an audience so i think it has to do with just being very aware of uh, of your external and that is not something that i would say i learned overnight but i i do credit my my theater background a little bit with that because the show must go on and in that vlog i remember speaking about fake it until you make it and if you can just harness the confidence that you maybe don't feel and pretend that you do, uh, it, it will present that way to, to the larger world. And so you may seem calm, cool, and collected because you're telling yourself you're calm, cool, and collected. And, and that really does go a long way because your mind will slowly start to believe it and you're going to start to walk that, that talk. And, uh, and, and, and over time, that muscle builds up and then it becomes a little bit second nature that you still have the butterflies in your stomach, but no one is able to tell because you've gotten so good at telling yourself you're a rock star. <laughs> love that you're so right I went on this fabulous conference or oh, it was more of a workshop last year October time Dr Sam Collins an incredible woman she's helping women well she's an advocate for women in the workplace and in business and pushing trailblazers and you know celebrating women and one of the things she said she does and I actually adopt it myself now and again is the Wonder Woman pose so before you go into anything stand there you know and your fists are, you know your hands are fists on your hips Deep breaths. She says she's often in the toilets beforehand, just preparing herself before she then goes on and, you know, presents and all the rest of it. So there are techniques that you can use. I actually wrote that into a book of mine. Um, first position, they're, they're ballet dancers with the New York City Ballet, and one of them is, is very nervous, and the other one has her do the Wonder Woman pose and the Superman pose in the mirror, and, and so that helps get them on stage. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Love it. Absolutely love it. Now, a quick question for you on your, well, I was going to say your 13th book, but it's actually your 16th now. What is it you're busy writing? What's due to come out? Well, the next book that I have to come out is called Back to September, and it, it'll be out in, in the next few weeks. And it is the store, story of a, of a bookshop owner. She owns a small, quaint bookshop in Providence, Rhode Island, and her love story with a very, very famous romance novelist who comes in to do a signing. And uh, it takes place in the fall, so we're talking caps and hats and warm beverages. Uh, and it, it's a it's a sweet story is, is how I would describe it. But uh, I enjoyed writing it a great deal just because I have such an affinity for bookshops of all kinds. And so it was nice to really write that subject matter and to get to spend some time there at the setting. Um, and then after that, I have, uh, oh, what's next after that? Oh, To the Moon and Back, which is another theater-based book, um, which takes place be, be, uh, behind the scenes of a regional theater with a, a stage manager and a film actress who's trying stage work for the first time. And Very that, nice. that is a Marsh release. And the book I'm writing now is the first in a new series called The, the Tangle Valley Romances, which are set on a vineyard in Oregon. There'll be three of them. Oh, how lovely. So how many are you writing a year then? Is three. that three a year? I write wow. three a year. Yeah, so I, I was explaining to someone recently, I generally have my hand in, I think, five books at any one time, one that's in pre-writing and 
one that's being written, one that's that's waiting to be edited, one that's like in proofing, and, and, and then there's the marketing of whatever's that. So there's a million different books at different stages happening at any given point. That's a fab- it's fabulous. A lot to think about, but keep going with your little half a day. With half a day. <laughs> and weekends out. We can, no weekends. No weekends. Just no sleep either. How do you find the sleep, actually? Does he sleep well? He's a fantastic sleeper. If anyone out there is uh, preparing to have a child, I recommend the book Baby Wise because it is all about scheduling and sleep. And so he was sleeping through the night at eight weeks. And he now sleeps 12 hours a night, and it all has to do with the schedule. I live and die by this book and the schedule it gave me because it worked. It does. A schedule, you're right. Once they're in a routine and they understand it as well, it's good for them, I think. Because if they manage to get good sleep, they're less tired and less kind of screamy. (laughs) More often than not. Right, okay, let's do some fun questions. Okay. Um, How old were you when you first learned to drive? I was 15 and and very eager and I think I was good at it because um, (laughs) I've never, I've been in one car accident, but I didn't cause it. I was just parked at a traffic light and an 18 wheeler drove over the back of my car, but that's a different story. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, and I've never, I, I, I get pulled over, but I'm on five warnings now in a row. <laughs> I've not got the speed. Hey, hey, hey! You get pulled over? What for? I guess I might be going a little bit fast, but they don't give me a ticket. I'm on five warnings in a row. I wear it as like a personal badge, a, a record holder. Um, so I hope I don't get a ticket. That's brilliant. Oh, I love that. And did you pass first time? I don't know how it works in the States when you take your test. You, I assume you take a test and you pass or you don't and you do it again. I did, did you pass, pass for the time? first time. Yes. I'm a big studier. So I, I was keeping that manual with me and reading it whenever I could. So I like to go in prepared. I'm a little type A that way. Um, and what car do you drive at the moment? Did I see somewhere you bought a new one? Well, for 18 years, I drove a Volkswagen Beetle, a bug, four different ones. When I would Gorgeous. when I would turn one in, I'd get another bug, and it was my signature car. I would get all different colors, but I had four over the course of those years. But with the car seat for a one year old, doesn't fit so well, and you need a you need four doors. So I have now moved on to um, a Mini Cooper, a Countryman which has the four doors. So I got a, I got a red one with the white top and it's got the checkered mirrors. I really like the mirrors. Oh, that's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I had a mini, a Cooper as well, yeah. um, and a soft top. Yes. Oh, convertible. Loved it uh-huh. so fast. Uh, yes. They're quite naughty. Yeah. Very cheeky. They're so fast. <laughs> oh, hence why you've got all the speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's making sense now. <laughs> what do you like to do to unwind? I'm a reality TV junkie. Uh, <laughs> That is, that's a guilty pleasure. I hesitate to admit that to too many people, but I love reality TV. I could get myself lost. I watched Dancing with the Stars last night after I put my son to sleep, and it's just really nice way to relax without having to think too much. Obviously, I like to read. I still do that, but I have less time now, uh, but I still try to fit it in before bedtime. Um, I'm a big film buff. I like to attend movies. Um, I love to bowl, though I don't get to do it a whole lot. Um, I was, this is an interesting fact, when I was 12 years old, I was the European bowling champion. No. Yes, 12 years old. That was my one claim to fame right there. I traveled to Germany to represent England, and I won. That is fantastic. Do you have a trophy? Oh, yeah, I have trophies, and I got a lot of 
different products and patches and gifts and mm-hmm. so to be a, a champion or what do you have to is it the you bowl the most you bowl the best you bowl the, the best. Most, most strikes yeah. yeah so I was in a bowling league on my air force base and I won for the league and then I got to represent the base and then I won for our area and then England and then I went to Germany and I won that so I was the junior champion because I was 12. It's still good now then yeah no <laughs> <laughs> Yes, no. No, no. <laughs> I see I the think, conflict. <laughs> I think I when I hit 14 years old, I suddenly realized I was a teenage girl and wanted to be at the mall with my friends, and I kind of stopped practicing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sad. Yeah. I think that's a mental one, that that game. I find if, I, if I'm not in the zone, I won't hit anything. But then when I tell myself, yes, you're going to do this, then I can strike. But it's very hit and miss. Yes. Excuse the pun. <laughs> um, <laughs> favorite color? I go with yellow generally, but blue sometimes factors in. Nice. Yeah, I think, choose I those think yellow is really cheerful. I agree. Mm-hmm. I used to have, a lot of my bedrooms have been yellow, actually. Yes, I had a yellow yeah. rug. It was my favorite. The car. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you have any tattoos? No, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> I am I not it. against tattoos. I applaud everyone who has a tattoo. I do not trust myself enough to not change. And I, I worry how angry future Melissa will be with me if, uh, if I get something that she doesn't approve of in 10 years. So I think one thing I've learned about myself is I'm constantly changing. So I, I hesitate to make that decision because I don't want future Melissa angry. I love angry, angry future Melissa. That is the best. That made me laugh. Yeah. No, I, I kind of get that. I have one. I'd like to have more. But the one I've got, I probably would like to have go over because it's a bit blurry now. It's not quite right. So, so now I hear where you're coming so from. So future Natalie was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, what were you thinking? <laughs> but do another one, but better. Yeah. Um, what is the last photo that you took on your photo stream? Okay. On your phone. Let's see. It's probably my kid, if I had to guess. Yeah. Okay. Oh. This would be... Everett playing with a bull outside yesterday. His oh, his favorite so task. He likes to gather acorns, so I gave him a bull, and so he puts it in the bowl. So I took a picture of that. It's kind of Love boring. His hair. Oh, this <laughs> he's had ten haircuts, that kid. Ten haircuts. I can't keep the hair from growing. <laughs> wow. And what is your most used emoji? Probably that one with the tears, the crying tears, because yeah. I like to joke around a lot, so I'm often like sending the laughing one sometimes a winky emoji is fun because i like i like to be sarcastic so if you add in the winky emoji people get you know chill out that was sarcastic <laughs> <laughs> okay winky sarcastic yeah okay i love it this has been really fabulous thank you so much i know it's early and spending your time i really appreciate it no it's been a fun way to start the day and now to wrap it up caesar day theme caesar day podcast what advice would you give to listeners L- listening to everything that you've gone through you've seen so many opportunities you, you move forward, you don't let nerves or anything hold you back. What advice would you give to a listener who wants to do something new, a career change perhaps, or just seize one of their own goals that they've been not confident enough to go and get? What advice would you give them to just go do it? I think what I've learned in my time on earth is that sometimes we wait for something to feel like the perfect time. And that now I'm ready. This is the moment. This, this is it those moments don't really happen that often. 
I, I would say don't wait for things to feel perfect. If there's something that you long for, if it's a goal that you have or something you hope to achieve or a life change you want to make, don't wait for it to feel perfect because I, I don't think the perfect scenarios exist in life the way we think they do. I think you have to make your life what it is. So instead of waiting, you take that first bold step forward and make it happen for yourself. Don't don't sit back and wait for the universe to come to you. And sometimes we can get inside of our own heads and get in our own way. And for that, I've come up with a little phrase that, that I say to myself, which is take your hand off the stove. When I come up with all the reasons something won't work and no, I'm not going to do this or that, it's because I've got my hand on the stove and I'm punishing myself and it's like, Take your hand off the stove. Just do it. Stop that negative thinking. And I like that. It really works. Yeah. I like that a lot, actually. And to your point, when you actually go for it, when you seize the day, when you do something, even if you're nervous, even if perhaps it doesn't work out quite right, you feel empowered because you've made the first step. And then the next step, you've already gone there already. So that's an easier process to take. The next one will push you further and further. I think we worry about we worry about failure and we worry about getting embarrassed or not doing it quite right, as you mentioned earlier. It, but you just take you take the plunge and you just go for it. I think so. I think back to that moment, if I hadn't sent in that first manuscript, I would be doing something entirely different with my morning right now. And I happen to really love my job. And so I'm so glad that I took that risk and sent it in because if I hadn't, if I had just hit save on my computer and gone back to my day job, um, life would be so much different. And I, I like to think uh, not as exciting. Love it. Where can everybody find you, Melissa? Where can they find your books? Where can they find you online? I'm all over social media. You can find me uh, just by searching my name on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, my website. I post blogs and my social media feeds go to my website. And I love to, to chat with readers. Um, I'm also available on email at uh, melissabraden at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from folks. Thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this. I'm sure everyone will love listening. I had a great time. Thank you for having me. And thanks everyone for listening. Take care, look after yourself, keep well. You have been listening to Seize the Day with Natalie Millersnell. All contact information can be found in the show notes, together with any links to websites I may have referred to in the show. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please pop over to seizethedashday.com where you'll find my other shows. And come and talk to me at Twitter or email me on nataliemillersnell at gmail.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you.